All right, so you're in the house of God. That means that something powerful is going to happen. Uh, do you believe that God is present today? Yeah, amen. And therefore, uh, even while we're talking about the material, we're going to be kind of all over the place emotionally, right? I got a lot of stuff to talk about that's pretty personal. We're going to be talking about some heavy stuff, and then we're going to have some laughs. And the whole time, we're going to be walking through God's Word. If you're just joining us and this is all brand new to you, I'm going to make sure that you're caught up to speed. You know everything happening. We've been walking through the book of Acts in the Bible for the entire year, right? I know it felt like 13 years, but it's only been one year. Uh, We are in part 27 of that series called The Empowered Church. And today's message I entitled Redeeming Wreckage. And I wanna wanna share a story with you, but you're gonna need a Bible near you, right? In a moment, I'm gonna have you turn to a passage. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. There should be one under the seat in front of you. And I'll make sure to give you the page number on where to turn to when you need it. I'll make sure you have everything you need. Also, if you could have that handout sheet given to you at the front door or on your app, right? That will give you the fill in the blank that I'll draw your attention to in a little bit. So I wanna begin with a story. Uh, A number of weeks ago, I had a bad dream. I wouldn't say it's a nightmare. I mean, I feel like you have to, it has to be pretty severe to be a nightmare. It was more of a troublesome dream. And as I woke up, I leaned over to Susie and I was like, babe, I had the worst dream. She's like, oh, what was it about? And I told her what was going on. And she said, are you still thinking about those guys? Well, what I was telling her was an event that happened 30 years ago that is still bugging me today. And have you ever had this where you have stuff in your past and it feels like a really long time ago, but somehow emotionally, it feels like yesterday. Whether it's something somebody said to you that was negative, whether it was in your childhood. And, And for a lot of us, we're going, man, I'm an adult. I have been living on my own. I can handle stuff for the last 50 years. What the heck am I still doing wrestling with this trash from my past? You guys ever had that experience? Where you got like, like trauma, something occurred to you and it, and it left this yuck. It kind of left you with a, almost like a spiritual limp, right? Or an emotional limp. And you're going, but it's been so long ago. Why can't I just let it go? Like, why can't I just like walk into a Holy Spirit shower and just boom, all of it's gone. You know, Lord, I prayed about it. Boom, suddenly my whole mind's remapped. Suddenly I feel good about everything. And that doesn't seem to happen. We got stuff that just lingers and lingers and lingers. But anytime I'm I'm ever going to talk about trauma, I want to remind you this. Sometimes you walk into a church and you walk in with this attitude like you're the only one screwed up. You look out and you look at everybody else, you're like, oh, look at that couple holding hands. I bet their marriage is perfect, right? I bet their kids love them, right? They must not struggle with anything. They're fine. Okay, hold up. Everybody dressed up to show up, but they're jacked up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, like everyone around you has issues. And I, I mean, we could all sit here and tell our stories, but there is nobody in here going, yeah, my life's cake. Everything's fine for me. We, everybody's got stuff. Stop with this whole, I'm the only one struggling. I'm the only one that's been traumatized. I'm the only one that's hurt. No, no, no. Every single one of us are in varying degrees of healing. 
There's nobody that's got it all together. All of us are in it together. The foot of the cross, we're all desperate. You know what I'm talking about? But if I'm going to talk about trauma, I'm going to talk about God's redemption. Because we know Scripture says that even though it was terrible, even though it was trash, God can make something extraordinary out of something horrific. I mean, you talk about the, the, the life story in the Old Testament of Joseph, sold by his family into slavery, rejected, humiliated, sent to prison for something he didn't do. I mean, terrible, terrible things. And at the end, ultimately, it leads to the redemption of his family and the Jewish people. And, and God says what, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. So in other words, no matter what occurred, God knows how to work with it. He does complication really well. Well, I don't think God can make anything out of my life. I disagree with you. And if we're going to talk about redemption, we're going to talk about God's extravagant grace. Do you, have you ever just, just thought about the fact that God is so kind to be consistent with us? You and I have good days and bad days. Some days we wake up and we're just not doing it, right? We're super in bad moods. God isn't that way. God does not fluctuate day to day and lose patience and just go, fine, I, just don't, I don't want to deal with you today. Literally, he way, every day you wake up, he comes with a spiritual cup of coffee and he's like, hey, kiddo, what's up? Good morning. We got a day. Let's do this. You're like, oh, seriously? And he's like, man, I got hope. Let's go. This is good. I got things to do. Right? So when we talk about trauma and we talk about difficulty, pain, hurt, and that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. When we talk about that stuff, at the end of the day, we're going to bring it to Jesus. Because I believe that there's some healing that he can do. At the end of the service, we're actually going to pray over a whole bunch of hurts. And we're going to see what God would do to bring about a restoration. But along the way, I want to talk about the mess. And I want to begin by saying that I think that trauma falls in two categories. There's stuff we caused and there's stuff that happened to us. And the stuff that we caused, right, there's some of us, we look back and we're the bad guys. Like the stuff that makes you shudder, the stuff that makes you kind of have a tick, the stuff that you want to block out, that was because you were the one that did the wrong thing. You were the one that walked into wickedness. You're the one that walked into sin. And, and sometimes it feels like the enemy always brings it up and just keeps going, I don't think you can ever be anything other than that. So I was, I was with a new friend recently. He came over and was talking to me at a, at a coffee shop. A uh, newer friend, absolutely tremendous man. Uh, he's done the hard work in recovery from addiction. Now, I got to tell you, if you've ever had to walk the road of recovery and you've done it, I got mad respect for you. I, that, is some, that is a big deal to me. So I take that very seriously because a lot of people don't do the hard work. You did the hard work. I just got to give you credit, okay? So he was talking a little bit about the addiction. And what's interesting is I only see him now on the other side of freedom, now, he's still in process, and he probably sees himself backwards. I see him moving forward. So we're talking about it, and he was, he was telling me something that I was like, it's so hard to picture it. He's like, man, when I was using, I was stealing from people I loved. And I could see on his face the pain of realizing I'm taking money out of the purses of my mom. I'm taking from people that care about me. And in his heart, there was a broken feeling of I'm the bad guy. 
If you have ever felt that way or you're still feeling that way or you're like, man, I got nobody to blame but myself. I, I'm, I was in deep, I was in a bad, bad place. If you ever feel like there's no hope for you, it's hard to move forward, I got a verse for you, okay? So we're gonna open up, before we get to Acts, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse nine. It's page 955 in the Bibles that are under the seat in front of you, page 955, 955. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse nine. Now I can almost guarantee you nobody's doing devotions on this verse. Because it starts out brutal. It starts out and you're like, oh, shoot. But it ends amazing. Now, if you are an underliner in your Bible, I'm going to have you underline verse 11, but we're going to start at verse 9, okay? So big six there, little nine on there. All right, here we go. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is why you don't do devotions, because you're like, dude, I'm on that list three times. What the heck, man? And I feel like Paul was just getting rolling, you know? Paul was like, oh, dude, I got a ton more, man. Anybody that wore blue on Tuesdays, they're in there. Anyone that is from Citrus Heights, they're in there, right, you know? And you're just like, dude, why do I feel like I'm all over this list, right? And, and it was just talking about saying, listen, hold on, and I got to give you context. Because when we read passages like that, we're like, well, then everybody's in trouble. Well, first of all, yes, everybody's in trouble. But, but when, we, when it puts a list like that, it's saying, is this your identity? Is this what, there's a big difference between, man, I struggle with drinking. And dude, I'm all about being a drunk. Okay, that, those are very different things. Man, I've wrestled because of different things in my past. I've wrestled with kleptomania, of stealing thing. That's very different than I'm a thief. I literally rip people off. That's what I do. That's an identity issue. So once again, he's going, listen, if that's what you want to all be about, and you guys have heard me teach on different issues of LGBTQ, and this is not a straightforward LGBTQ issue. This is a very complicated contextual issue that has to do with cultic prostitution. We don't need to get into that. But you understand, if we're talking about this stuff, we're addressing these issues of going, listen, if this is all about you, it is likely the Lord is nowhere around. So no, you don't get to partake in the kingdom of God. Now here's what's interesting. We usually feel condemned by this, but look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Now remember, this letter is written to church people. He's like, guys, I'm describing you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. What was his point? Yeah, it didn't matter how deep you were into something. It didn't matter how far you had gone. It didn't matter how harsh that stain was. God can reach you. God can clean you. God can get you. There's no way that your sin is bigger than his power of redemption. So he's going, man, no, no, no. We were all about that. But God knows how to redeem. He knows how to scoop up. He knows how to transform. He knows how to fix. So if you feel like, wow, I guess God isn't for me. I guess I'm too far gone. The answer is absolutely not. You're just what he wanted. 
we need to have these verses that remind us that our past doesn't determine our future. Yeah? But let's say the trauma that happened in your life happened to you. It was not your doing. Now, of course, it gets all messy when we talk about certain trauma. Oh, well, I was partly responsible. I don't want to get into any of that. If somebody else's wickedness and sin was perpetrated upon you, I have something to share with you. Because that type of trauma, I was just recently writing about the Lance Hahn podcast, the thing that I do. Uh, I just wrote episode, uh, let's see, 19, and I wrote it on forgiveness. Because there's no Christian concept that is more difficult for me to wrap my head around than forgiveness, because it's super, it's complicated for me. So I was writing a podcast on that, and I was explaining that one of the problems with forgiveness is that if a trauma is, or something bad is perpetrated against you that significantly damages you, you kind of walk with an emotional limp. And the problem with forgiving is every time you take a step, you're reminded that you got hurt. You know what I'm talking about? So it doesn't feel like it's in the past. It feels like it's still messing with you now. So you're like, I don't understand how to forgive because it's not like it's all done. The ramifications of the pain are still going on. So how do I forgive when it's not done? I still feel actively messed up by the choices they made over me. That's part of why forgiveness is a process. Well, man, if I'm still struggling with them, I guess I didn't forgive them. Hold on. I think you did. I just think there's more. I just think that forgiveness is a process you got to walk out. But what I really need us to understand is that no matter how damaged we are, and I need you to hear the phrase I'm about to say because I think you're going to emotionally disagree with me, especially if you're really hurting. You're going to fight me on this one, so I need you to listen. We can be totally healed from our trauma, and I need you to believe me. We can be totally healed from our trauma. Now, I'm going to try to help you understand why I say that because I think what you're saying is you don't get it, okay? So let me give you this caveat. That doesn't mean that we're back to the way that we were. Healing doesn't mean return to same. And this is what's throwing us off. But God, if you healed me or restored me, I would be back the way that I was. Pastor Lance, you don't even understand. I will never get my innocence back. Hold up, I never said you would. What I said is you can be whole and healthy and healed. That's what I told you. Yeah, well, I don't feel whole, healthy, and healed if I can't get that. Hold on, I'm not sure you want to go back to eight years old. Because the troubles that you're dealing with today, you need the muscles of a lifetime to deal with, and I don't think we need to go back. I think what you actually long for is better, not same. Better is different than same. Better is different than same. Because we keep saying, but I'm not healed. I don't feel like, I feel like they still took something from me. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not always sure that loss redeemed can't be better. I'll give you an example. So, and I know some of you have heard this maybe briefly when he was sharing, but I was talking with Pastor Lincoln uh, the other day. And if, if you remember, he was doing some work down in the, the basement, the lower level here in our buildings, and he hit his finger. Now, as a guitar virtuoso, that's a stupid thing to do, right? I've told him so. 
Now, he didn't mean to hit his finger, but he busted his finger open. Now, that's the finger that you got to use on, on your uh, fretboard. So if, you, if you've ever been around a guitar, and I'm talking about an acoustic guitar. So there's acoustic, uh, which is kind of jangly jangly, and then there's the electric guitar that's just like, I'm cool. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about? All right. So if you ever see an, elect, an acoustic guitar, that's the big yellow one, right? It looks like it's made out of wood. Okay. If you ever have one of those, if you ever get near one, when the musician isn't looking, grab it, okay? Now, you don't want him to find you, okay? So you grab it when he's not looking and push down on the strings because what you're going to find out is they're like little metal blades, and they're way off the fretboard. And the only way to make the sound is to push it all the way down, and it will create a clean sound. So over and over, you're pushing down, and it hurts. So part of playing guitar is building calluses on your fingers so you can seamlessly and painlessly play your instrument. Y'all tracking with me? I'm just telling you right now, if we want to go back to same, we might be tender, or do we want to be prepared to do what we're called to do? I think Jesus can redeem our past. I think he can heal up some things that give us calluses, and that might be a benefit. Here's another example. Um, if a zombie apocalypse breaks out, and I'm okay, now once again, I'm not saying it will, I'm just saying if a zombie apocalypse literally breaks out and we have to like shoot dead people, all right, I need to be very clear with you. I am not hanging out with my Christian friends. You are all wimps. You guys have gotten soft. I need to find some dude with scars. I need a non-believer that's going to shoot me some zombies. Now, I'm not going to follow me. I'm scared out of my mind. I will find somebody with a scar like a saw blade went right through his face. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, that's my man. Okay, because, because I need this guy to get in the mix, and I need to know, oh, he's already been through war. Awesome. Right? He can help me here. Right? Another example. Uh, have you guys ever heard of cauliflower ear? Anybody know what cauliflower ear is? Ugh, gross. Okay, <laughs> cauliflower ear is very common with athletes that are in wrestling. So what happens is, is when your ear gets smooshed and it gets all traumatized, then it's like, oh, I'm going to inflate and heal myself. And you're like, no, you won't. And you just keep punching yourself in the ear. And you're mushing it on other people's faces and stuff. So as you're rubbing it on the mat, it finally just goes, fine, I don't like you either. And it bubbles up into this big, puffy, non-ear-looking cauliflower bunchy thing. That's cauliflower ear. Now, I remember reading this thing in the past, and it was like, wisdom for life, right? And it said, never start a bar fight with a man with cauliflower ear. And I was like, yes, that is wise. I need to write this down. <laughs> okay, why? Because you know that dude's just been in it. And, and you didn't, never start an argument. He knows how to fight. You're in trouble, man. And here's my point, right? That if I ever have a brand new believer that comes into this church and they're trying to deal with the trauma of their past, I'm going to look for a Christian with scars because they're the only hope that they're going to get through it. I'm going to look and I'm going to say, did you survive? And I want a Christian whose scars may have been brutal at the time, but now they're a badge of honor. My Jesus healed me, and I'm all right. Yeah. What I'm trying to tell you is I don't think we need to go back to same. I think we just need to go to better. 
And I believe there is healing and I believe there is wholeness in Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we hang on to our trauma. Isn't that kind of a weird thing about human beings? Like we're super messed up and then sometimes we resist when the Lord tries to heal us. We hang on to it. Why is that? Because in our trauma, sometimes we take comfort because it's a constant reminder to the world that we were wronged. It's like we're trying to wear it like a billboard. Some psycho out there hurt me. Okay, I get you. I believe you. But to hang on to that, to notify me of that information means you're not getting healthy. I'm not okay with that. That's not worth it. Sometimes we believe that if we get healthy, then people will think it wasn't that big of a deal and that they'll let the offender off and they don't take our pain seriously. So we always look disheveled. We always look messed up. We're trying to tell everybody it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Sometimes we feel like if we appear healthy, then somebody's gonna think we can handle more weight put on us and we feel too fragile. So we look fragile and we act fragile as a defense mechanism. Is any of this true? Yeah. Sometimes we have a struggle to believe that getting healthy is ever really an option, so why try? There's a lot of reasons why we hang on to our trauma. But here's my call to you as your pastor. I'm not telling you you can fix everything. What I'm telling you is anywhere God gives you a chance, take it. Anywhere God gives you a little bit of freedom, lean into it. Let's say you're in a service and there's prayer and you receive healing to part of it. Don't reject what God is doing. Let it happen. It doesn't mean that it wasn't a big deal. It doesn't mean that you weren't wounded. It doesn't mean that you're all better now. Let his healing heal you. Whenever you get a shot, whenever you get a tiny part, because I feel like too many of us are walking around with unnecessary trauma damage that Jesus has been wanting to heal for a really long time. To allow healing doesn't mean that you have to give up boundaries. Do you understand that if you've been wounded in the past, now you have more knowledge. Now you have an ability to create healthy boundaries and you're safer than you've ever been before because you know being healthy doesn't mean you drop all of your boundaries. That's not true. Well, now I have to be around everybody toxic. No, that's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness, you can still be wise. Wow, you're toxic. I can't be around you. Okay. You're actually wiser. To allow healing doesn't mean that we stuff it. Christians don't stuff things. We heal. Stuffing will just mean it's going to come out in some totally inappropriate way. We don't shove it deep down. That's not appropriate. We heal through it. And receiving healing doesn't mean that the offender wasn't wrong. I'm going to tell you right now, the offender was wrong. What happened to you is unacceptable, and I'm not going to change my opinion, even when you heal. Does that make sense? And here's the other thing. We always go, but I can't forget no, you can't forget. The way God normally works in that issue as he's remapping your brain is he allows new memories to eclipse old memories. 
So in other words, all the beauty he's done makes the really bad stuff pale in comparison. You could find it if you search for it in your history, but it's not top of mind anymore. The sting is gone. That's how God heals. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Just because God uses it doesn't mean it was good. Just because God uses it doesn't mean it was good. So I'm here to tell you, I get it, it wasn't good, but God can still use it. And God wants to redeem it. And God wants to make you healthier. He wants to make you stronger. I believe that firmly. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It's page 924 in the Bibles that are under the seat in front of you. 924, that should get you there faster. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. While you're looking for it, let me bring you up to speed. If you're brand new, we've been watching this rise of the Christian church through the book of Acts where how in the world did Christianity go from zero to world dominant in 300 years? Oh my gosh, how did that happen? Well, what you find out was it was super messy. All this supernatural cool stuff and then the enemy punched back and then people got imprisoned and people got killed and and then these people got saved and there was miracles and healing and there was casting out of demons and it was just a wild ride. So along the way, we've been meeting these characters, and one of the main characters is a gentleman by the name of Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest theologians, one of the greatest church planners, one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest pastors of all time. This guy's a big dog. Well, where we're at in the story is that he joined up with another big dog, a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas was the charismatic, encouraging, warm, fun, great speaker guy. So he and Paul joined together his power team, and they went on a year-long mission trip. They went through the island of Cyprus, and they went into what we now know as modern-day Turkey, and they set up all these brand-new churches, and it was awesome, brutal, crazy. But then when they got home, they had to answer to the Jerusalem Council of Christians. These are the home-base hardcore guys, and they were there because, and they're primarily Jewish, because Christianity began as a Jewish movement. It was a Jewish Messiah. Jesus is a Jew. And so a lot of these guys, they were baked in Judaism. And so they were like, man, we're Christians now, but we're just Messianic Jews. And so they had in their mindset Jewish culture. And they really struggled to know that now the majority of ministry is happening with non-Jews. And they were like, dude, I hate those guys. They are such yahoos. Like, they are so messy. And so when they come home, they have to answer, why did you spend so much time with non-Jewish people, Gentiles? Why did you do all that? Because really, this should be more of a Jewish thing. And if they want to become Christians, they need to go through and become Jewish first. Then they can become Christians. And Paul and Peter were like, that's actually not true, you guys. So there was a lot of kind of turmoil over this. So they had a big council. Paul comes in and he's like, guys, I'm telling you right now, God called me to speak to the non-Jews. I need to know from you, what do you want me to tell them? Because I'm coming in with straight, pure gospel. I'm coming in with, I once was lost, now I'm found. I'm coming in with Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I'm coming in clean, right? Is there anything that you need me to tell them that would be rules and regulations they need to live by? 
Now, you got to remember, he's talking to a group who their whole life is wrapped up in trying to know God and be religious. They're like, we handle all the festivals right. We do all the traditions and rituals. We know how to clean ourselves. We know how to eat the right foods. We know everything. And these Gentiles are coming in all messy and screwed up. And they're like, we're Christians now. And I'm like, well, you need to clean up, bro. And they were wrestling with this tension. So Paul goes, what do you want me to tell them then? And you can imagine how that conversation would have went. Some guy stands up, well, I have a list. You're like, what, what, what do you want to tell him? I have 62 things. And he's like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So can you pare it down to the top three? Top three? No way. Well, dude, I'm not giving him a list of all that stuff. Like, these are new Christians, man. They just need Jesus. Okay, well, I got three for you. He's like, all right, well, what's the first one? Well, the first one is no eating of food offered to idols. Okay, that's very random, but all right. I'll write that one down. Now, you know, Paul takes that one. He's like, I'll change that later, right? And he's like, you betcha, okay? He's like, what else you got? Well, you can't eat meat that was strangled and still has blood in it. <laughs> that's gross, okay? And he's like, all right, I gotcha. Some Gentile in the background, it's actually good meat. Like, Shut up! You don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, all right, not, no blood in the meat, gotcha. Okay, what else? Um, no sexual immorality. Oh, hey, hey, that's actually a good one. Okay, we'll take that one. We'll take those three. You're done, dude. We're not bringing any more. Okay, fine. So they made this agreement that they were going to give those cultural rules to these new Christians that are non-Jewish. And that's where we pick up the story today. Okay, here we go. Verse 36, uh, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord the first time we went on the journey. And let's see how they are. Okay, let's pause. When you just read that at home, you're like, oh, they got back on a Monday and they took off on the next Thursday. It's been five years. So, no, they had time to restore, they had time to rebuild, and now they're like, dude, it's been a while. Let's go back out and check out on everybody. They've been Christians now for five years. Those churches have existed for five years. Let's go make sure they're okay. All right, cool. So what's the plan? Let's go back through the same route and just check up on everybody that we planted. They're all baby Christians. He's like, all right, that is a great idea. Now, why this is important is because they knew that just getting saved was not the whole picture. There's a lot of us that think what we really need is a golden ticket to get to heaven. Like you go, I don't know about this Christianity thing, but I sure don't want to go to hell. Well, that, okay, it's a start. <laughs> okay, but that's not really the point. The Bible says that what determines where we live eternally is our personal relationship with our God. And so what we realize is that just getting saved, well, I don't want to go to hell, that's a good start, but it's actually about relationship of depth. How do you know God? How do you walk with God? How do you talk with God? What does his word say? What does the Bible talk about? How do we learn all this stuff? We do that in church. We learn that with friends. We're growing up, right? And this is one of the reasons why Bridgeway is the way that it is. Understand, 
God disciples regions. In the greater Sacramento region, God has tons of amazing churches, and all of them should be different. We don't need duplicate. Some are going to be more focused on worship. Some are going to be more focused on evangelism. Some are going to be more focused on discipleship. We're doing our lane. Doesn't mean we're the right way and anybody else is the wrong way. It means this is our assignment, and our assignment is for me to get into your face and mess with your lives. Why? Because I'm stirring up things to say, do you know your Lord? And so I'm going to consistently push on you, push on you. It's all about transformation. It's about growth. It's about changing. So I'm always going to mess with you. This is a high challenge environment, okay? Because I keep saying, don't get stagnant. Don't just say, I have my salvation. I don't care anymore. Either you care about God or you don't. So we need to grow. So he realized that, and he's like, man, we got to go back through, and we got to help these people build their relationship with God. Okay, cool. So how did it go? Look at verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, also called Mark. That's his Hebrew name and his Greek name. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. All right, pause. What did he just say? That is a really sweet way of saying Paul said, heck no, I'm not bringing the wimp. Okay, do you guys remember that story? So what happened was on their first journey, you got Paul, hardcore, Barnabas, hardcore. They bring a young dude named John Mark. It's Barnabas' cousin. They're like, we're going to ministry. And all of a sudden they start getting stoned alive. I mean, it's just brutal. John's like, I'm out, <laughs> right? This gun guy's like, I am not doing this. And he bails and goes home right? Paul's like, good riddance, you know, and, he, and then all of a sudden they start arguing because Barnabas is like, dude, if we're going back out, I'm going to call up John Mark. He's like, why would you call that kid? Because he's my cousin and he went with us last time. Uh, he went halfway with us. <laughs> Stinking wimpy cousin. I don't want that guy. Dude, it's family. I don't care who it is. He didn't carry through. Yeah, I know, dude. He's a kid. Man, we're grown adults. We've been doing this. I'm all right going to prison. I'm all right getting beat for the kingdom. He doesn't know that. Man, where is your grace, bro? I mean, I don't understand why you're so harsh on everybody. Not everybody can be you, Paul. And they start fighting. How do we know that? Well, look at the next line. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. They split up over this. It got nasty. And I got to ask you, what in the world? Why is Paul so resistant? Right? Why not just go, okay, whatever? I don't know. It could have been emotional. It could have been practical, right? I mean, emotionally, he would have been like, dude, you bailed on me? There are consequences. I don't want you with me. Listen, I don't like quitters. I mean, he could have been punishing John Mark. I don't know, right? And you're like, well, John, Paul would never do that. Well, yeah, he would. He's a human being, right? Or was it practical, right? Hey, I don't want John Mark with me, Barnabas. Let me remind you, because when I get stoned alive, it would be nice to have someone there to pray for me. <laughs> okay, so they're like, they're, they're all fighting and stuff, right? Okay, but I got to ask the question, who's right? Who's right, Paul or Barnabas? Because here's what's funny. Anytime any argument starts, 
we want to assign blame immediately. And here's our filter. Was I involved in the argument? Then I am right and you are wrong. If I'm not in the argument, do I like anyone in the argument? Then they're right and the other people are wrong. And if I don't know anybody, are they in my camp? Then they're right and the other team's wrong, right? And we always assign blame and we're assigning it not based on wisdom, we're assigning it based on emotion. And that's not a wise way to handle it. Here's the truth of the matter. We have no idea who's right and wrong. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you that only God knows. You go, well, they know. No, they don't. Because we say stuff and do stuff that we're not even mature enough to understand what we're doing. We don't even know what we're doing. God knows. And that's why whenever you see disagreements and fights in the church and everything, don't immediately jump to a side. Cool your jets and let God begin to sort stuff out. Because otherwise you might be on the wrong side. Yeah? So it says, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took his cousin Mark with him and they handled the island portion. But Paul chose a new dude named Silas and they left having been commended by their brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through the landmass, Asia Minor, Turkey area, strengthening the churches. All right, let's pause. How did this church split happen? How did it get so out of control? Is it flesh? Is it the enemy? I mean, y'all have seen, ever heard of church splits? You ever heard of church problems where leadership don't get along and you got leaders leaving the church? How does that work? Is that flesh? Is that the enemy? Did the enemy win? Or is God doing some weird plan? You're going to find out at the end. When they split up, it actually involved more leadership and got more people saved and more people. So is God doing it? I don't know, when God gets done with the situation, it's really hard to tell whether or not that was his original plan or not, because he knows how to redeem so well. But Christians fight, do they not? I mean, it'd be so neat to believe that everybody gets along all the time, but we're human beings. So here's some wisdom for you about it. It's just like a marriage. If you ask any marriage guru on which marriages last and which ones don't, here's the truth. Every marriage will have conflict. The marriages that last are those that have repair techniques and the maturity and heart to repair. It's never, is there going to be conflict? The answer to that is always. The only question is whether or not you can heal from it. Same thing with the church. Whether or not you guys can hang in church because you're gonna have problems, you're gonna have conflict. The only way you're gonna hang in here is if you can repair, because that's how family works. We work through stuff, we get healthier, and we move on. So how do we handle church hurt? Is church hurt a real thing? Yes, it is. Let me explain what I mean. Have you ever been hurt by people in the church, the community of the church, or by church leadership? That's what we call church hurt, okay? Quick show of hands, how many of you at any point in your life have ever been hurt through a church environment? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a huge amount of you. Okay, if you haven't, just hang on. <laughs> we'll get you. <laughs> okay. Church hurt is real, and the reason why it's so complicated is it's hard to tell the difference between church and God. So what happens is when church leadership does something, it's almost like your parents doing something wrong. 
it, it violates all kinds of roles in your head. Well, I thought Pastor Lance was a good guy. Well, I thought that this other pastor was a good guy or a good lady. I, I don't, can't understand why they would be arguing. I don't like when my parents fight or, oh my gosh, what's happening with this? And why did they fire that one person? And it feels weird, feels yucky because you're like, I thought, I thought we were Christians. Yeah, but we're also people. And we still sometimes operate out of dysfunction. We operate out of flesh, right? I need you to understand and hear something because right now, currently, you are still here at Bridgeway. What that means is most of you have either worked through it or have yet to have a conflict with me. And so you currently see me as a good guy. Now, I'm gonna tell you that is my intention. I intend to be a good guy. My heart is very big for the church. I love God and I love people 100% but I need to be very clear on something. There are people in the Sacramento region that are walking around with church hurt because of me. I need you to understand that. There are people throughout the United States, they've moved, and they're the ones trying to heal in another church because of what happened here. We are not immune to this. This is not a situation, Bridgeway has it all together, that's trash. We're real people. And I'm in it. There are a handful, and not very many, but there are a handful of people that no longer even go to church because of what happened between me and them. Is that okay? Not really. Well, what happened? I'm sure you, did. sure you didn't mean it. Listen, I try to do my best but there are times when I've operated out of my flesh. There's times when I was not mature enough to handle the situation. There are times when I've said things I shouldn't have said. There's times when I've led in an inappropriate way because I wasn't quite that far advanced. Do you understand? I've hurt people. I don't want to, I don't mean to, but I do. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because what happened to you in the past may have been monstrous but it's not likely they're monsters. And maybe that will help you in some way begin to reconcile and release that they might have just been immature. They might have just been operating out of the flesh. They might have been too wounded and hurt people hurt people. You know what I'm talking about? And I just don't know if there would be a way for you to begin to heal by hearing me confess my sins, yeah? You see, they go back and they split over it, right? And the ultimate result of the fight is now we have more leaders rising up. Silas is in the program. He's going to be awesome. They divide and conquer more territory. Lots of people get blessed. So it's all good, yeah? I don't know. I don't know. The Bible says that one of the reasons Christianity went worldwide is because of extreme persecution. So is that okay? Hey, it went worldwide, God was glorified, it's all good, yeah? Well, it is, unless you were involved. It is, except for those kids that watched their parents murdered on the street. It is, except unless you were imprisoned. Well, it is, unless you lost your home and were, what, a refugee in another country because of pain. But everyone on the outside, hey, God's glorified, it's all good. I'm just telling you, life is messier than that. It means that it may not have been good, but God is working to make it good. Does that make sense? Let's pick it up in chapter 16, verse 1. So Paul 
also came to the cities of Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by all the brothers in Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Okay, let's pause for a moment. Paul got a new kid. Woo! He's collecting them. Okay, got rid of John Mark, got a new one named Timmy. So he goes through, now you got to understand who Timothy is. Some of you guys know who he is, but, but ultimately Tim got saved when his mom got saved. Now his gra- he comes from a lineage of incredible women of God. His grandma was a hardcore Jewess, and she was steeped in scripture, rock solid. She trains up her daughter, who is his mom. She's rock solid. That passes down into Timothy, and he's rock solid. So he's a young guy, but he's on fire. He got saved into Christianity last time five years ago when Paul was here. Paul sees massive potential. Now, he's not exactly like Paul. He's a little more timid, right? It's a little timid Timmy. And so he's like, well, I'm all into Jesus, but I don't know if I can do everything like you can do, right? Paul's like, I think you got potential, boy. You know, and he's all excited. And so he's like, you come with me and all this stuff. Now, do you guys know who Tim becomes? Yeah, there's two books of the Bible named Timothy. Why? Because he becomes so close to Paul, Paul calls him my son later on. He becomes his protege and he ends up becoming his successor. He is gonna become the new apostle Paul. But right now, he's just a young kid named Tim. You see, too many of us think, man, I I have so many dreams. I think there could be some cool stuff, but man, I'm just new to this. God has plans for you. He's got dreams. Well, I don't know if I'm ready for all that. You're not. That's why he's building you. But he's got stuff, right? By the way, does anybody wonder what happened to John Mark? Everyone's like, Paul was so mean to him, right? And when the apostle Paul's mean to you, how do you get over that church hurt? You know what I mean? Right? Well, I'm going to tell you, John Mark's doing just fine. How do we know that? Because over and over in Scripture, you find out that Paul refers to him as somebody he cares about deeply. He's like, he's a solid worker in the Lord. He's a blessing to me. You find out they reconciled. You also find out that he got really close to Peter, and Peter called him my son. These are big words. He got to hang out with the apostle Peter. As a matter of fact, he got to hang out with them so much, they decided to write a book together. Anybody know the name of the book? The Gospel of Mark. It's kind of popular. It's right there in your Bible. So yeah, John Mark's fine. He's doing just good, right? So Paul gets a new kid, right? And they're gonna go on a mission trip. Look at the end of verse three. So he took him and circumcised him. That is a fast-moving relationship. (laughs) What the heck? Holy cow. Tim's like, I can't just get a tattoo or something? Like, uh, take a class? (laughs) Golly. why, Why in the world would you do that? Well, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. What? What does that have to do with it? Come on, man. This is a bit... A bit uh, brutal initiation, right? Like I've heard of hazing, but gosh. 
what are you talking about? And he's like, listen, kid. And the thing that's so odd about this and the timing is Peter and Paul just argued that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. It's not even necessary for holiness. See, for those of you that don't know, the Jewish people had a contract with God that as an outward sign, almost kind of how we do baptism, stuff like that, as an outward sign, all males would be marked with circumcision on the eighth day after birth. So it was a consistent, if you're a legitimate Jewish male, you were circumcised. The other nations didn't do that around them. And so it had them be unique. Now, remember, Timothy's mom is a Jew, so he is legitimately a Jew, but his dad is Greek. And the dad's like, I ain't circumcising my boy. He's going to be like me, right? I don't care who I marry. My boy's going to do what I do, right? So he wasn't circumcised. And so all the Jews would know he's a half-breed. He's not full Jewish. He's half-Jewish. And here's what Paul said. Kid, it has nothing to do with your own personal development. It has to do with whether or not we want to be effective in ministry. Because here's the truth. Every time we walk into a new city, where do I go first? Synagogue. Who's in the synagogue? Jewish people. Okay, so let's say I'm busy, Silas is busy, and we're like, hey, Timothy, can you take the pulpit today? They're not going to listen to a word you say. Because they're like, no, you're not circumcised. You're not legit. I'm not going to listen to you. Listen, it's not about what's real. It's about what's in their head, and they can't get past it. So do you want to be effective in ministry or not? Well, yes, sir, I do. Well, here's a knife. (laughs) Which, by the way, Bridgeway is now adopting this. (laughs) <laughs> all blades will be provided in the lobby pick it up in verse 4 as they went on their way through the cities they delivered to them for observance the decisions that was those three rules that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily you guys this is how church should be thriving growing strong miraculous Oh, messy, complicated, crazy. You guys, if you're looking for a perfect church, not only are we not it, you ain't going to find it. You can look for a church with people, and you're going to get mess. So here's the truth. We're in it together. We got this. Okay? What I want to do as we close out is I want to pray. I'm going to take a couple moments to pray. And I'm going to pray for those of us that are still wrestling with church hurt. I'm going to pray for healing over those of us that are just dealing with general trauma in our lives. We're going to see what kind of healing God would bring. Okay? You guys ready to pray? All right, let's do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this holy moment, we ask that you would just move among us. We open up our hearts to you and we just say, God, would you rescue us? Lord, we don't have the answers, but you do. And so we submit to you. If you are currently wrestling with church hurt, that it is still impacting how you interact with church, whether it was here or somewhere else, if it is somehow affecting your relationship with God or how you process, could you please stand up? We're going to pray for you. Stand up right where you're at. You don't have, you're not going to come down forward. Just stand up where you're at. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Yep. Yep. Who else? Okay. Anybody else? All right, let's pray.
God, we have stood because what wounding happened, happened, it felt like under your banner. It felt like it was in your house. And somehow, Lord, we attached it to you in a way that may or may not be appropriate. Uh, But right now, God, all we know is that it is still coming up in our mind, and it's hard to shake it. So God, we just ask for your healing, your healing, your healing to pour upon us. That Lord, that we would begin to process through your lenses, not ours. That God, that we might be able to understand that you have taken that which was wrong. And God, it may have been absolutely wrong, you know that. But Lord, you can take that and you can change it and make it good. We're asking for your redemption, we're asking for your rescue, we're asking for your healing. Because, God, we don't want it to bug us anymore. We don't want to begin to hear a prayer about a heavenly father and automatically have a twitch. We don't want to be invited to a small group and say, I'm never going to do that again because we got burned by human beings. So, God, right now we need to separate. I know it's hard, but, Lord, we got to separate a little bit of your heart from the ones where your kids are still in process because they hurt us. So God, I know that you are not authorizing the pain. You are not orchestrating the pain, but you saw the pain. So God, I just pray that you would begin to help us remake the scenario in our head to a place where you are present. God, restore us, restore us. In Jesus' name, I proclaim healing over all church wounds in Jesus' name. I proclaim healing over that which was said, that which was done, the experience, whether or not you felt church was predatory, whether or not you felt church was betraying, whether or not you felt church was abdicating, whether or not you felt unsafe. Right now in Jesus' name, we pray healing over all of that. Soothing and restoration in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. If you are struggling right now because of a trauma of your past that has given you a limp today, it is whether it affects your dreams, whether or not it affects your day-to-day, if you want healing from trauma, would you stand up, please? doesn't matter what it was. We're not going to have to talk about it. We're not going to confess it right now. We're just going to get healed. Okay? Anybody else? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we have stood because our soul cannot carry the burden and the weight of pain. God, right now, I just pray that you would anoint this atmosphere that healing would descend in the name of Jesus. That God, all the words that were said would be scrubbed Our brains would be remapped. Our nervous system would be rewired. That we no longer trigger off any of those things. We bind the enemy in Jesus' name and we say, you don't get to play that record anymore. You don't get to harm us. You don't get to make us ruin our joy. We have joy in Jesus. We have peace Because of the Prince of Peace, our past cannot bind us today in Jesus' name. And so we begin to proclaim no more that what they said, I'm not letting it define me. 
My God defines me. And what they did to me, I now release into the hands of the one that knows how to handle it. The one that knows how to be the judge. The one that knows how to be the executioner. That, Lord, you're not just letting people get away with stuff. And so right now, we release them to you. We release our perpetrator to you. We're not carrying that person anymore. They don't deserve us to carry it. We ask that you would take them and do with them what you will. But don't let them haunt us. In the name of Jesus, we begin to proclaim that all the way through our neural pathways would be washed and cleaned. In the name of Jesus, everything that was put together that created a limbic response would be reset in Jesus' name. Everything that began to affect us physically, in our gut, in our body, in our tissue, all of that be healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, would you take the limp and make our legs right in Jesus' name? God, we proclaim your healing, your healing, your healing into us. No more nightmares, no more bad sleep, nothing but a deep, rich peace in the name of the Lord. And we say, God, heal us, heal us, heal us. Make us right. Show us steps that we might lead into greater healing. More prayer, more therapy, more encouragement, more friendships. God, give us what we need. I don't want to be stuck anymore. You may be seated. And so, God, here we are. We're going to go out and be the church now. We're going to go out and be with our families and our friends. We're going to go out into society. And, and, and we're, Lord, we need equipping. We need your anointing. So Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh upon us? That you would anoint us, that our hugs would heal, our hands would heal, our mouths and lips would heal, our eyes would be gentle, the eyes of Jesus. That, Lord, as we go out there, we would begin to speak the truth in love, that we would begin to show true interest in other people, and it wouldn't be about us. God, would you allow us to go out as your body of Christ, in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.